Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, I'm Nicholas Gordon, host of the Asian Review of Books podcast done with the New Books Network. In this podcast, we interview fiction and nonfiction authors working in, around, and about the Asia-Pacific region. The characters in Nishant Injam's The Best Possible Experience, his debut short story collection, are like many in India or in Indian communities in the United States, working hard and enduring hardships to try and get a better life for themselves. They don't always succeed, and even those that do lose something along the way. That tension between hope and reality is at the core of many of Nishant's stories, whether it's a recently migrated Indian family panicking that a white boy is coming to dinner, or a college student trying and failing to get a visa, or a young son in Goa increasingly frustrated with his tour bus driver father, prone to embellishment and exaggeration. Nishant received an MFA from the Helen Zell Writers Program at the University of Michigan. He is the recipient of a Penn slash Robert J. Dow Short Story Prize and a Cecilia Joyce Johnson Emerging Writer Award from the Key West Literary Seminar. His work has appeared in Zotrope, All Story, ZYZZYVA, the Virginia Quarterly Review, the Georgia Review, Best Debut Short Story 2021, and the Best American Magazine Writing 2022. Today, Nishant and I talk about why he pivoted from tech to creative writing, how his stories relate to the Indian experience, and the trials of Indians and Indian Americans trying to improve their lives. So, Nishant, thank you for coming on the show today to talk about uh, the best possible experience, um, your short story collection. Um, you know, perhaps it's best to start kind of with why you decided to to write this collection in the first place. Um, what kind of events, what kind of things inspired you to kind of to kind of put this collection of stories together? Yeah, um, thank you for having me. Um, I it's it's a long story, um, so you'll have to bear with me for a little bit. Um, I had never actually planned on becoming a writer. Um, I, I, was, I was I was never even a scribbler you know i i never um journaled um i wasn't much of a reader either i i mean i read some books and as a child but um but i wasn't like a huge reader reader either um i moved to the u.s for a master's degree in computer science um and my whole intention um with pursuing a route in technology was to be able to um sort of um be in a position where i could send um money home and like help help my family out a little bit um and so and so i was very much this um tech um brown, tech sort of brown tech immigrant um in the in this in the states and i didn't realize how isolating um the experience of the immigration um would be and and how how much lonely um, I would be as a person, um, uh, and, um, and I think somewhere along the way, I sort of began writing as a way to keep, um, my country next to me to, uh, to preserve a home. Um, um, the, the poet Ilya Kaminsky, um, writes in, in this poem, Joseph Brodsky's uh, dead. He writes, in plain speech for uh, sweetness between the lines is no longer important. What you call immigration, I call suicide. Um, so it's, it's it's sort of that those lines really spoke spoke to me in the, in the sense that I I felt like my previous self had died um, in in a way that because I, I it's it's 
in as a as an immigrant in America, um, I was far away from family. I was far away from the people I loved or the people who loved me, and um, I didn't have many friends and I didn't have many money. Um, I was stuck. Sort of, I was doing. A, I was in this program, doing a master's in computer science. I had a loan, and after right after that, I had to. Um, I picked up a job, so and, and I was in a. Visa, I was basically um, doing a job that I didn't like, and I had. I was in a visa that didn't let me switch as easily, and um, I had all these factors like keeping me anchored in America, even though I didn't really want to. Um, because I had to pay off the loans, I had to keep the visa going and all of that. I had all these obligations. So it 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 felt pretty um, heavy as if there was a there was a chain around my neck um tightening and squeezing me. Um I think in, I think somewhere um in 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 those in those sort of day in in, in those days I think I um I felt like I needed to um, do something to uh, to make sure I there was still the old me in me somewhere, um, and and writing became an answer for that, like as a way of preserving that, and 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 that's how I sort of began writing the story collection. Not I didn't even realize that I was writing a story collection. I was just writing stories um, that would um, in some in some fashion. Um, take parts of myself, um, the emotional aspects that I was sort of um, carrying all um, and, and, then, and then put them in the form of story so I could I could still have those um, those replicas like art, you know these textual replicas of home around me. So I wanted to kind of get into something that that you talk about kind of the 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 lonely experience of kind of being being an immigrant, especially a new immigrant in the United States. Um, and something that that struck me in a lot of your stories is um, is the kind of tension between hope and reality. Um, and that's through all your stories, not just the ones kind of based in the U.S., but also the ones based in India. Um, but a lot of people kind of potentially maybe striving for a better life or, or trying to achieve a better life and then then always bumping up against... against um, against reality that kind of that kind of forces them to be more realistic or drags them back down or, or however you want to describe it um i guess why focus on that tension specifically kind of between um hope and and the real world um great question um i think that's such a universal concern though um i i mean i guess nicholas you're in hong kong um are you um happy doing what you're doing are you exactly where you've dreamt um, yourself to be or or you know there's always this i mean you don't have to answer the question but what, I, what, I, but it's, it's, what i'm what i'm trying to say is that um it's we have um there's always this tension underlying um in our in our own narratives right in the narratives that we construct about ourselves um we we, we always have um, we always have aspirations. We always have dreams that might or might not come true, um, but we do journey towards them. I mean, that's um, that's how we make sense of our own lives, um, and 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 that's. I felt like that's a universal thing. I mean, it's not really specific to 
to me or my characters. Like I think everybody in the world has um, has that tension in their lives. So I'd I'd like to maybe start talking a bit more deeply about about the stories in your collection. But before I do that, um, I might invite you to to do a reading, um, maybe of 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 part of one of your stories. Um, I can read from story called um, The Bus. I'm going to read um, the first uh, page of it, roughly. Um, the bus has a bathroom. Other buses that leave Bengaluru from my hometown don't have bathrooms. They pull over on the highway when you have to pee, or they stop at a taba, and the driver asks passengers to go, so he won't have to make extra stops along the way. The bus is a luxury coach. Dark brown from the outside, it has a 32-inch TV and reclining seats and air conditioning, all of which makes me think, what a good deal. It's the Diwali weekend and every long-distance coach is full of techies going home. Securing a ticket was impossible, but then I came across a new office at the back of the bus station, a travel company by the name of Alfonso Tours, and they made it happen. The driver is busy tinkering with a hearing aid as I get on the bus. Don't use the bathroom for number two. Only number one, he says, not bothering to look up. I feel the air conditioning already. Sweet. The bus is nearly full. I look at my ticket, 20p. An aisle seat next to a bearded man on his phone, music blasting out of his earbuds. I sit down and relax my feet and begin watching the Bollywood film playing on the TV. A film in which the hero shoves the heroine from the roof of a tall building. Nothing like a movie to alleviate the boredom of an overnight bus ride. We're past the outskirts of the city now, and farmland has started to appear on either side of the road. I haven't gone home in months, and I'm torn. Can you tell? Okay. Thank you for kind of reading the first part of the bus, which is the the story that kind of that opens your short story collection. Um, I want to kind of cycle back to something you mentioned at the in your first answer about the experience of being um, an immigrant in the United States. Um, the U.S. is kind of the only country that's not India that that features in your stories. Um, there are a number of stories in your collection um, that deal with um, Indian migrants going to college or working in jobs or just kind of moving with their families to the U.S. and all of the struggles that come with it. Um, struggles with visas, struggle with making enough money, struggles with kind of integrating in our society. Um, I guess, what was it about kind of the the Indian migrant population in the US um, that you wanted to capture in in these stories. You know, you know what they say about you can only write um, what you know. So, <laughs> um, I it's just that my experience um, has been as that has been that of like an Indian immigrant in the States. And so the stories I've written um, are all sort of set either in India or in the States because um, those are the two places I know. Um, if I had maybe immigrated to the UK, then uh, maybe my stories would have <laughs> been sort of set in the UK as opposed to the US. Um, but in, in also in this other, um, as a flip side to your question, um, we talk a lot about these days about, about uh, how but capitalism or, you know, the American dream or, you know, the American dream that they say it's, I know it's, it's a term that strictly comes, um, that's exported from, from America, but I, but I feel like, 
Um, America is also the sort of the, this epicenter for capitalism, and um, it just seemed like a logical place to um, anchor all of my stories in 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 that sort of heartland as well. To just to just to juxtapose um, how our desires are changing and shifting in this um, in this stage of uh, in this landscape of late stage capitalism. Um, and now I want to move to kind of talking about the 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 story um, that also gives the collection its title. You know, the best possible experience, which is which is actually one of my um, one of my favorites in the collection. Uh, the best possible experience stars a son, his tour bus uh, driver father, um, and his many uh, stories, some of, of 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 dubious veracity at times, um, and the city of Goa. Um, why choose this setting for for this story? What was it about about Goa and and I guess the people like like the tour bus driver that made you want to kind of write a story about about this setting and these characters? Thank you. I'm so glad you like that story. Um, it's it's one of my favorites as well. Um, I knew this would be a book, or that um, the stories would actually even come, you know, would would come together uh, after I'd written this um, story. Because uh, the way I see it, this that story has um, drives the collection, or rather, that is the philosophy behind the entire collection. Um, it, it, why is it in Goa? Um, I've, I've been to Goa as a tourist, and and Goa is, I mean, even even for somebody who has probably never visited India, Goa is a place that they might have heard of as a as a tourist uh, destination. Um, and and so the image of um, it just seemed like such a ripe setting um, to talk about. Um, to talk about how we might view stories as stories as these places that that we visit um, and we visit we visit all these destinations or rather these different kinds of stories in the hope that they lend some meaning to our lives, right? Um, like why do we bother with art otherwise? Uh, because we, ultimately we want art. Um, to speak to us, to speak to the way we inhabit our lives, um, and 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 this story in particular um, with um, with the father and the son, um, it's it, I think it's a it's fundamentally about storytelling. Um, it's about um, it's about seeing the value in storytelling. It's about um, 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 by 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 setting it in in that sort of um, place and in that sort of era, um, I guess I'm giving myself um, enough room to uh, to sort of come up with my own meaning, uh, my own interpretation about why I am even telling these stories. Um, and there are a couple there are a couple themes. Uh from that story that kind of relate to a lot of other stories in collection. Um, let me start with the first one, which is, you know, a lot of your stories deal with parent-child relationships. Um, you know, sons and daughters failing to understand their parents, 
uh, parents failing to understand their children, um, often leading to kind of not good out, not great outcomes. Um, is there something about that particular relationship and something about how that relationship works in the Indian context, um, especially kind of maybe for some of these um, less wealthy, maybe more rural um, Indian families we're talking about? Um, is there something, is it, why focus on kind of the, the parent-child relationship in so many of your stories? That's such a great question. Um, I think it's just, um, it's. I think it's a less um, prevalent prevalent thing um, maybe in the West, but but I think in a lot of Eastern uh, families, I think uh, filial relationships sort of take um, a stronger prom or you know or as much prominence as romantic ones do, um, and. I'm really interested in parent-child relationships for um, for multiple reasons. Um, one is that um, they you can't you can't really know a person until you really understand how they were raised um, in some ways, and you and and also those are some of sometimes the strongest bonds um, of love that a person might have experienced. Um, or, or maybe not, but at least they are really strong um, emotional um, sources um, in 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 people's lives, and uh, and that is fascinating to me. Um, and also, in in many ways, I mean, it's like it's like, it's like we expect the world to not understand us. Um, we we I mean, as adults, we when we move through the world, um, we. We're pained by the indifference um, that the world might show us. We are um, frustrated sometimes, and um, and when somebody shows us kindness, we um, we sort of take um, pleasure from that. We take a little bit of happiness from that. But fundamentally, I think we don't have the same degree of expectation um, on the world um, that we do on our parents. We expect our parents to understand us, uh, and yet, and yet. There's always some friction in the sense that um, the these people who are probably the closest to us, and yet, um, in some ways, we still fail to understand each other. Um, and and I'm and I'm speaking of this broadly um, and generalizing, but the, but I think I still think um, there's some truth to that sentiment, and and I'm really interested in exploring the nuances of all of that. Um, and I'm also interested in any relationship that, um, not outside of just filial relationship, if like you know, it could be just a sibling relationship, or it could be like a romantic relationship. Any relationship that promises more love than what is conventionally sort of seen or accept, you know, conventionally acceptable, I'm always interested in that. I mean, who doesn't want to be loved more than um, what they currently are right now, right? So. Yeah, I'm always drawn to that. Um, and maybe to kind of bring together two again the the theme of the U.S. and and the theme of um, of parents, I guess, <laughs> parents and children. Uh, I wanted to talk about. Um, I believe was it is this? I believe the story is 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 lunch at Patty's, which is this uh, um, somewhat, I guess, I guess, comic, but also somewhat bittersweet scenario of this Indian family having absolutely zero idea about what to do. Um, when a white kid is potentially showing up for lunch, 
um, and then all of the miscommunication that have happened with that um, in the U.S. I wonder if you might kind of is is there what were you trying to kind of convey with with that story? I think with the with kind of the somewhat madcap efforts by the parents to, I guess, to potentially impress this 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 white kid that's coming to lunch. I think it's the um, the level of anxiety that um, new immigrants usually have. Um, it's I think that story speaks to that, um, and I. I also wanted to capture um, this tension um, between aspirational whiteness, uh, which is what many immigrants usually carry, um, especially immigrants of um, South Asian origin, um, when they move to the U.S., um, they want to be assimilated, they want to be integrated, um, and and they're very uh, they want to please people, they want to please white people, um, they want to be accepted, and I. But at the same time, um, it's 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 interesting because it's the very acceptance that they crave. They're not going to get. Uh, maybe their children will get it, but they won't get. It. Uh, and it's 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 a very interesting dynamic. And it's it's like um, you you are throwing up your old life and you're moving to a new country and and you really want to belong, uh, but then you can't really belong because you don't know anything about the country that you just moved to you don't know the cultural clues you don't you don't you don't uh um you don't probably don't even know the language very well um and it's and people are not gonna you know uh just um sit with you until you pick up everything if that's not just that's just not how the world works right um so i just i just i just find that fascinating um and i wanted to use the story as a way um, to uh, talk about how um, talk about the the, the nuances in, in that um, in that aspirational whiteness um, that um, the families tend to take on um, new immigrant families tend to take on and also to talk about just to show from from for like a non-immigrant audience, um, how much um, goes on in or or you know the, how much goes on in the in the minds of other people, immigrants? You know, it's like um, I've had I've had people um, sometimes some people read the story and then and then be astonished by um, by the by the the amount of uh, mental sort of gymnastics the family does just to he's this white kid and 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 people were always been like, why and 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 if it's the, if that questions if you have if you have a question that says why um why why are you sort of being this way then it's probably because you are uh not an immigrant and you uh you haven't um you haven't seen how much um uh, how sort of i guess how much that is a need um the need just belong the need to just make a home because you are already at home and unlike this family you know on on a somewhat aligned point um you know a few of the characters in your stories um are dalit and they kind of face prejudice because of that um you know caste discrimination i I don't want to call maybe like a, a uniquely indian phenomenon but it but it's one that um it's it's 
it's obviously more prevalent amongst Indian communities to the point where I think it's often been used as a way to to dismiss it. Um, I know I know some in the U.S. have claimed that to talk about caste discrimination would be is anti-Indian and anti-Hindu. I know that argument's popped up a few times. Um, but but I guess to, kind of, to talk about caste and talk about caste discrimination, um, why did you decide to make it a part of some of your short stories and making some of your characters um, Dalit? Um, again, great, great question. Um, I... I think even the the, the idea that um, that why even you know just even raising the idea of caste discrimination is somehow discriminatory is just is just laughable. Uh, it's uh, I know I know some or 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 even that to be to see that as anti-Hindu in some ways is just um, is appalling in some ways. Uh, it, it's it's just I think um, the simplest way to um, look at that whole situation is to map it onto uh, America and, and and see it in this lens. Like for instance, um, like we um, we know the amount of racism um, black people experience worldwide and also in the states, right? I mean that's a that's a fact, um, and we know that America so sort of was built off. Um, Built of slave labor. Um, that's w- without without the work without the work of black people, there would be no America. Um, and I think without the work of Dalits, there would be no India as well. I think that's just a fundamental reality that many Indians are um, just not acknowledging on some levels. Um, like if you see, you know, manual scavengers. And if I mean, like, if you don't, if you don't have manual scavengers, or you know, or like, you, I mean, back in the day, you didn't really have plumbing systems. I mean, like, your your literal shit is just, you know, <laughs> it's it's being taken care of by somebody else, and who you never see. Um, that's just an example. What what I'm trying to say is that um, in in terms of labor. Um, Dalits have provided um, an extraordinary amount of labor, um, and it has fallen on them. Um, and, and and they've experienced all sorts of discrimination, and they still they still do. Like for instance, um, it, it would be the same even it would be um, um, sort of uh, callous to uh, not see discrimination being happening right now. Um, like for instance, if 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 just to map it out, to say, can can anybody say there's no racism against African Americans in this country, uh, or in in America or in the world? No, right? I mean, we still see instances being happening. Um, we still see um, police brutality um, against African Americans. We still um, we we know those instances happening, and we know there's people still have those traces. Um, um, many many as in, as in we know. Um, we know that still exists, and and similarly, I think um, uh, that sort of discrimination, caste discrimination, still exists in India, not only in India but also in the states. Even even in companies, we've seen um, news reports uh, of uh, caste discrimination happening even in high tech companies, sort of these technology companies like Google and whatnot. Um, Sometimes it's not outward. People might not realize that they're doing that, but it's still there. Uh, and I, 
and I wanted to make that um, a part of the collection because it's, it's it's a reality. It's a reality of our world. Um, so I'd like to kind of end our conversation by by going back to to your own personal history. Um, you did what uh, you did what me and my day job would uh, describe as a career pivot <laughs> um, from from working in tech to 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 creative writing and, and then putting out this this short story collection. Um, and so I guess I wonder if you might share a bit about um, your experience and what it was like to kind of make that shift from from working in tech from um, from working in that sector to into something like creative writing and maybe what helped you as you kind of got your start as a or as as you as you traveled the path to now being a published author yeah um so i um like like i've sort of i guess spoken earlier um i was writing these stories as i was working as i was doing my day job i was as i was, as I was being this uh programmer um i i never really enjoyed um my um my software job uh, it was just something for me to pay the bills um and um and writing was where my real um life began um and i kept my tech job going um until i would until i sort of got into this mfa um where which is this master of finance program writing where I got to spend um, three years uh, studying creative writing and, and just spending on, spending a lot of time thinking about um, writing and and the book, um, which was an amazing opportunity. And until I got to that place, I was um, had I was sort of like uh, doing uh, software during the day and then writing at night and at weekends and um, essentially um, trying to um, live. A life that I could call my own after my work, work, you know, after my work day had officially ended, and I did that. And then even even now, right? Even now, I, I'm still working at a. Even though I have published a book, I'm still working a tech job, um, and I'm doing the same. I'm, um, I'm working during the during the day. I, I do this tech job um, to pay the bills, and then at night, or you know. At night, sometimes usually between eleven and three or something like that, uh, I work on uh, my own writings. I don't know if I the question like. Well, no, I think I think it's always a hard question to be like because I think everyone's experience is so different. Um, but still, I think that's a this is a great place I think to um, to end our conversation um, with Nishant Injam, author of the short story collection "The Best Possible Experience." Uh, Nishant, I actually have two final questions for you. Which are uh, where can people find your work and all of your work, not not just this book? Um, and question two: uh, What's next for you? What do you think the next project might be? Sure. Um, so my work, um, other than this book, this book is available in bookstores um, in North America and in the subcontinent, um, like wherever books are sold. And then if you, and then if I have, um, I might have some new work coming soon in terms of like essays or fiction. Like if I have, if I have any work coming soon, then it's usually up on my website. I'll have a link. Um, if you could go to 
nishantinjam.com. Um, that would be a good place for you to find um, any new writing by me. And then uh, in terms of next project, I'm working on a novel. Um, it's too early for me to talk about uh, what exactly it's about. It's, it's it's in a very fragile state at the moment. And otherwise um, you feel like you might jinx it or something, right? Yeah, exactly. So I, I yeah, I would love to talk about it um, at a later stage. <laughs> well, right, but, hope, yeah. Hopefully you'll get a chance to talk about it soon. That'll be in a in, in a form where you're comfortable sharing more about it. Um, well, I you can follow too. me. You can follow me, Nicholas Gordon, on Twitter at Nick R.I. Gordon. That's N-I-C-K-R-I-G-O-R-D-O-N. You can go to AsianReviewBooks.com to find other reviews, essays, interviews, and excerpts. Follow on Twitter at Book Reviews Asia. That's reviews plural. And you can find many more author interviews at the New Books Network and NewBooksNetwork.com. We're on our favorite podcast apps, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. Rate us, recommend us, share us with your friends to support us interviewing those writing in, around, and about Asia. Next week, Joyce for interview with uh, Maximilian Morch, uh, ARB reviewer and also author of Planes of Discontent, A Political History of Nepal's Terai, 1743 to 2019. But before then, Nishant, thank you so much for coming on the show today to talk about the best possible experience. Thank you. Thank you for having me.